we're not the mask we wear. But if we don them, do we not become them? It's Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda Series podcast. We welcome you here today. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. I'm Ethan Maestri. But, do you know who I really am? I kind of thought I did, but sometimes I'm not so sure. You are kind of mysterious. Tell you what, Ryan, why Mm -hmm. don't you look into my eye and I'll show you. Mmm, that's kind of weird, man. Come on, just a little peek. (sighs) All right, all right. Oh, I see. I see everything. You're a whiskey drinker. You better hope I am. This week, it's episode 26, Pitiless as the Sun. Ethan, do you have anything for us about this episode before we get started? I sure do. I got a couple of things to go over here. Uh, First of all, we had a couple of, uh, well, we had three guest stars I'm going to make mention of here. The first one was Antonio Cupo. He plays Lieutenant Goodell. He's been very popular throughout a lot of TV and film particularly from the mid-2000s up to today, predating his uh, appearance here on Andromeda, he was on the Dark Angel series, which is, so he's no stranger to sci-fi. And then, too, we had Anne-Marie DeLuise, and actually she was credited as Anne-Marie Loder uh, at the time of this episode of Andromeda. She plays Major Windar, and she has appeared in many sci-fi series, including Stargate SG-1 and in Smallville. She has many TV and film credits to her credit as well. And then finally, we can't not talk about William B. Davies. He plays Professor Logich in this episode, and he's somewhat of a legend around television, uh, particularly sci-fi television. He's known for for a lot of work that he has done in TV and film since uh, the early 80s. Uh, up to to now, up to today. So over 30 years of work he's done, uh, predominantly within the sci-fi and horror genres. Uh, Most recently, he uh, has been appearing in the Continuum series, but he also has credits like Airwolf, 21 Jump Street, and even a MacGyver credit as well. And, of course... Don't tell me. Yes. Yes. The Commish? Absolutely, he was in The Commish. Yes. But he's most famous for his role as the smoking man in the X-File television series. Basically, throughout the the run of that TV series, and even in the 1998 movie that they did, uh, he has uh, appeared as the smoking man. So, great to see William B. Davies, uh, someone I'm familiar with outside of the Andromeda series, but great to see him in this role as Professor Logich for this episode. Now, the original script for this episode had Rev Bim and not Trance being interviewed uh, there on Inaris hmm. or Inara. No, Inara is the other series. Never <laughs> mind. However, Brent State had been having some serious allergy problems uh, with the Rev Bim prosthetics. And so several episodes, including this one, had to be rewritten in order to minimize his role uh, ahead of his uh, departure that's coming up soon. And that's what I've got for factoids, Ryan. Okay. That was great. Let's just get right into it. Um, Pitiless as a Sun. Ethan, I believe it's your week to recap. Sure is. Here we go. Hit us with it. The Andromeda has a visit from an Inari representative, 
and she shows Dylan some video footage of a mysterious vessel attacking an Inari freighter. Major Windar explains that the Inari have no known enemies that could do this, to which Dylan responds that they do now. Later, Dylan discusses the Inari's request for help with Harper and Becca. They are both surprised by Dylan's pragmatism in his expressed hesitation to help them. Because of the Magog threat, though, they no longer have the luxury to respond to every plea for help in the galaxy. But he does yield to Becca's advice to give this situation an investigation. Major Windar also approaches Trance at this time and explains that the Inari have become increasingly xenophobic and that a visit by Trance may be just what is needed in order to help the Inari to come out of their shell just a little. Trance approaches Dylan and convinces him to let her go to the Inari homeworld. Once she arrives, she is quickly escorted to her room and locked inside. Back aboard the Andromeda, Dylan is leading Major Windar and her assistant, Lieutenant Goodell, to the finally refurbished command center. The doors open onto a new bridge with flashing lights, bee-boop sounds, and all the bells and whistles, even a few that were still in development before the High Guards fall. Dylan sends the guests off with Harper for a review of the ship's systems, something that Tyr expresses misgivings about until Dylan lets him know that this is his way of finding out if these are people that he can trust. Back on Inari, Professor Logich enters Trance's room and begins to interrogate her. Oh, he makes an attempt to put on the pretense that his questioning is going to be far less malevolent than what it actually is, but we can tell pretty quick that this isn't going to be a simple chat over tea and crumpets. While Dylan is continuing the tour for the ship's guests, they pass a machine shop that has been sealed off. Dylan tells Wendar that it is damaged, including radiation leaks, and it hasn't been repaired yet. But in fact, Harper is inside, and he's building something. Logich begins his questioning by asking about Trance's childhood. Trance acts as if she's going to play along, but ends up just asking for food instead. Andromeda arrives at a location where they were to meet the Inari fleet, but the fleet is completely destroyed, and still they have no answers as to who or what could have done this. Trance chows down on the spread that Logich brings her. He is shocked by her appetite, but continues to ask questions that Trance continues to not give answers to. She's really quite good at that. But Logich has drugged the food, and Trance passes out. When she comes to again, she is strapped to a rather menacing-looking chair, with straps, tubes, and other sci-fi peril-looking objects around her. Logich begins a more adamant form of questioning, threatening even, to which Trance divulges her story. She claims to have been designed as a sex slave. Her whole race was. Logich seems fascinated by this revelation, that is, until Trance begins laughing. Clearly, she is not yet broken, and she's just having fun at the expense of his time. Meanwhile, Becca has taken the Maru out with a full load of ammonium phosphate, using it as bait for the mysterious attackers. When they show, Dylan begins to assess who it is that they are facing, and he is not happy with what he finds out. He orders them to break off their attack and initiate a contact protocol instead. The attackers make contact and reveal that they are the Pyrians, a race of creatures that existed alongside the Commonwealth, but with no common interests, they largely left each other alone. Now the Pyrians are acting against the Inari, and they warn Dylan that if he continues to protect them, they will attack him as well. Dylan orders the ship into slipstream. We should point out that at this time, Lieutenant Goodell has found a way to sneak off, and has broken into the damaged work bay in order to see what is being done inside. Dylan wants to know how the Inari managed to get on the Pyrian's bad side. 
Major Windar plays dumb and throws out pointless speculation. Dylan insists that she must be hiding something from him. Goodell counters by mentioning the machine shop. At this, Dylan asks Becca and Tyr to leave the room. Goodell tells Dylan that he's discovered that Dylan is making Nova bombs in the machine shop. And he's shocked, too, that Dylan hasn't even told his crew. Dylan says that they are for use against the Magog worldship. But the time for total truth will have to wait, as the Pyrians have just exited Slipstream and are headed their way. They'll all have to work together to survive this. Trance's ordeal continues on Inari, meanwhile. But now the Professor reveals that someone like Trance visited the Inari planet some 15 years before. He seemed childlike and benign at first, but he ended up touching off a civil war that resulted in half the planet's population being decimated. Not exactly a good first impression for Trance's race, and it helps to explain the Inari's interest and caution with regard to Trance herself. To the Professor's horror, Trance reveals that her race is very long-lived and powerful. Her predecessor was probably just bored and started the war for his own entertainment. Feeling the need to defend his planet, the Professor tries to kill Trance by injecting poison into her. While waiting, presumably for Trance to die, Logic relates to Trance that he was a doctor. His son was killed in the war. This personal loss motivated him to ensure that his world would never suffer like this again. Trance appears to be weakening and asks Logic how he's going to explain her death to Dylan. Logic says that he will say that she got loose and was killed by a mob. Trance concedes that this is a good plan. Logic loosens the straps that are binding her wrists in order to provide her some small comfort. Trance, now no longer appears to be weak, grabs his wrist and says that she will teach him about her people. She forces him to look into her eyes where he sees stars and galaxies. The Pyrians hit Andromeda with several artificial gravity mass packets, hampering her maneuverability. Finally, Goodell offers Dylan the truth. The fertilizer, the ammonium phosphate, is actually a powerful, addictive, and fatal drug to the Pyrians. The Inari knew who was attacking the freighters, but they didn't think that Dylan would recognize them. Dylan figures that they have found their way into the wrong side of a drug war. Dylan, Becca, Wendar, and Goodell leave the Andromeda on the Maru. Becca dumps the ammonium phosphate into space and destroys it with the point defense lasers. The Pyrians say that this is not good enough. Dylan reassures them that he did not know what they were taking part in, but now he does. He's going to do the right thing. He'll arrest Windar and offers to turn her over to the Pyrians. They agree. Dylan does not arrest Goodell, though, because he's deduced that Goodell is a Pyrian informant. Windar asks Goodell why he would work for the Pyrians in stopping the drug trade when they practically wanted it. Goodell corrects her. The Pyrian addicts want the ammonium phosphate, but not their government. He explains to Dylan that the Pyrian government has been requesting the cease of the drug trade, but the Inari government is controlled by mining guilds who silence any opposition. However, Windar doesn't blame the government corruption, and mentions instead the Purple Boy, blaming all of this on him the civil war that left them with nothing to drive their economy except for the ammonium phosphate. Hearing this, Becca realizes that Trance is in danger on Inaris, and so they hurry back. Trance tells Logic that she is not responsible for their troubles. He asks her if her shipmates know what she really is. She says that they know what they need to know. She is their friend. She declares that the universe is a mess and that chaos keeps life interesting, so she doesn't need the same kind of entertainment that the Purple Boy was looking for. Logish tells her that their religious texts say that chaos is evil, and so he asks if Trance is some kind of devil, to which Trance responds, 
You better hope not. Dylan meets with Transon Hydroponics, but she doesn't tell him much about what happened on Inaris. Dylan acknowledges that even though he does not really know who or what Trance is, he knows that he can trust her. And for now, that is good enough. The end. So as we've had before on Andromeda, we have another reference to some great 20th century literature. Is it literature you're referring to? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Go for it. The 1971 novel, Freaky Friday. (laughs) Was it a novel? (laughs) Yeah, it was a novel. I never knew it was a novel. I didn't know it was a novel either, but I, I looked it up. Because when they when Harper said Freaky Friday, yeah. what is this Freaky Friday? Yeah. I remember that quote, but yeah, he mentioned he referenced Freaky Friday, and I'm like, there's no way three thousand years from now they remember Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> no, but I didn't know there was a novel of it, which makes perfect sense mm-hmm. now. That why would D- D- Disney can't come up with anything on their own like that? <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> Oh, that was harsh. Burn. Burn. Well-deserved, but burn. But you're right. I've never watched the Jamie Lee Curtis, Lindsay Lohan version Mm -hmm. either. Right. I I do feel a little sense of pride at that, (laughs) having said that out loud, too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that was something I had to actually look up, because I I was like, there's no way they actually referenced that movie. Yeah, it's a 1971 novel. It's, it's killer. I don't know if you can see it there or not. That that is my first observation. Okay, but there is is freaky. And that's my question: Is Freaky Friday really such an enduring story that 3,000 years from now Harper of all people is going to remember that and know it as a reference? You know what I think? Um, a lot of times, this is 3,000 years from now, but told in a way that we simple 21st centuryers can understand it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure that the story of Freaky Friday uh, evolves and it gets retold in so many different ways. It's probably already been told by the veterans, and you know, and now they're just using the version that we understand as the audience. Okay. Uh, because even in our own real life universe, the '71 novel was really just a retelling of another story that was <laughs> written back in the, the late 1800s. Okay. I don't remember the name of the book, but yeah, it was another book. Uh, it's, this was actually a father and son, though. That okay. Had, this, it this, was the same scenario. Yeah. Basically the same story. But in the 1800s, they were they were doing stories yeah. like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just, as you're talking there, I, I'm going through a mental image of Nietzscheans performing Freaky Friday as like a Shakespearean... <laughs> Uh, an exploration into existentialism or something like that. You know? Right. <laughs> or ex- not existential. Ex- ex- what's the term? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, okay. Just just an exploration of self. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. I can imagine Nietzscheans playing this, you know, acting on stage or something, something ridiculous like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Freaky Friday would make it 3,000 years from now. No, no. <laughs> Well, so that was. I mean, was a bit of a okay. We know microwaves make it, so that's right. Maybe Freaky You're right. Friday does maybe too. Maybe it does too. Yeah. Maybe a DVD actually survives, like the they CDs. They have CDs, exactly. Yeah. I have a thought about that. Okay. We can maybe discuss it another time. The quick version is: somebody opened a time capsule and had quite the collection. Okay. That's that's my thought. All right. All right. Uh, new bridge. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Except for one thing. 
the Tilt-A-Whirl pilot chair is gone. Oh, man. I'm disappointed in that. We don't have the, the, the moving, uh, <laughs> the, the clunking side-to-side <laughs> pilot chair. And I'm I'm a little sad at that. Yeah, I kind of I kind of liked it. I kind of got used to it. Well, I mean, it, it takes you back to your childhood, doesn't it? Sitting yeah. In the arcade, <laughs> the thing <laughs> that just goes side to side. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Those are great. <laughs> Those were great. Yeah. Uh, I can. Uh, yeah. I can see Tier putting. Oh, I forgot to put the quarter in. <laughs> All right, let's go fly this thing. Yeah. Oh, it's gone. But mm. it, it is a nice bridge. I gotta say. Yeah, it is. I, I like the, what they've done with. The, I'm sorry, command center, command deck, command deck. I'm mm. sorry. Good grief! I can't even. I can't get it right. Um, I'm a little puzzled though that the captain of the ship is not allowed on while they're making all of these repairs. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you would need. You would kind of want some of his input. Yeah. Or, or what? Maybe they. Maybe they did. Maybe they went to him with some. You know, here. Here's. Here's some design plans. What do you like here? All right, don't come on board. We're going to surprise you with what mm-hmm. you picked out here. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? If that's the case, I, I got to say, props to Dylan Hunt for being a team player. Yeah. I mean, you know, could you ever imagine that you're going to keep Dylan Hunt off of Command Deck? <laughs> say, no, you just stay down in hydroponics. We got this <laughs> covered up here. Yeah. Stay down at the engine core. Mm-hmm. You can take care of things from there. Yeah, we'll be we'll be working up on the command deck. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we encounter a new species. Yeah, yeah, the Pyrians. Yes, the Pyrians, and we discover that they actually can harness enough power um, to power a flux capacitor. <laughs> More than enough, really. <laughs> Dozens of gig- gigawatts, gigawatts. It was it was gigawatts, gigawatts. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I clued in on that saying when Dylan says that uh, uh-huh. on that scene where they realize the you know, the weapon whatever it was. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Do they have flux capacitors on their ships? Their their uh, their Perian torch ship, whatever that was. I don't know. I mean, the whole thing kind of looked like a complicated flux capacitor. Yeah, I, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. go with that. Okay. So the Perians can time travel. We know that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. We don't know that, but... Uh, no, 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 no. But they do breathe the atmosphere of Venus. Yes. Uh, it kind of goes back to Freaky Friday, because why are they still talking about our solar system? They don't care anything about it. Yeah, everything's referenced by Venus. Yeah. yeah. I got to imagine pro- Harper sitting there going, yeah, okay, all right, okay, Venus, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now Becca, Tyr, and anybody else that's in the room has got to be going... What's a Venus? Is that the company that makes razors? No. <laughs> yeah, but that's even gone by this point, too. Well, you never know. I yeah. mean, they still have microwaves and Freaky Friday. That's true. So they, they probably still have Venus razors. Yeah. Uh, Purple Boy. Uh, I, I just... An observation about Purple Boy. Is that anything like Bubble Boy? I don't know. Uh, Maybe. Okay. Can you play Trivial Pursuit against Purple Boy? I, I don't see why not. I mean, he was he was childlike and fun when mm-hmm. he first showed up there. So yeah, I'm sure okay. they probably can play a game or two. All right, Seinfeld reference. If you don't get it, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's got to happen. <laughs> it's just, it has to happen. Uh, so uh, yeah, Bubble Boy reference there. Uh, in case anyone happened to have seen that travesty of a movie. Uh, my question though is is why wouldn't he leave a name behind? I mean, everybody refers is refers to him as the purple one. 
Nobody references a name, though. Hmm. And my thought was, did he just not give them a name? Which is a possibility. But it kind of seems like that would be kind of hard to do, uh, since they're learning about him, and then eventually he starts a war. <laughs> I mean, at least, at the very least, they would give him a name, I would think, at some point. Right. Like, Jerk, mm-hmm. or something. Or the devil. The devil. There you go. Uh, or, or was it just that the Inari just didn't want to speak his name, maybe? Maybe, maybe. that's just something that let's just not... We don't discuss... It's Purple Boy, and that's mm-hmm. that's all we're going to reference him as. Right. I just thought that was an interesting... It's interesting that the name doesn't exist in that culture, mm-hmm. that they would refer to him by that name. Or maybe they're just ignoring it. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that's... You're right. I mean, that's... that. It was just a you, thought. You would think that it would come up. But maybe the Purple Boy is really good at eluding questions, the same way that Trance is. Um, Maybe that's a trait of their yeah. race. Yeah. But it's just that Trance doesn't mind telling people her name. Yeah. If that's her real name. Yeah, it's probably not her real name. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, maybe when someone's like, hey, let's, let's, hey, a round of beers for everybody. Uh, let's, one for my purple friend. What's your name, by the way? Oh, hey, let me tell you a story. <laughs> yeah. Look into my eye. And <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we see, you know, Trance anytime that there's any questions asked about her toward her you know she's pretty good at uh Evading. deflecting and yeah. and let's, let's just move on yeah absolutely mm-hmm. but it could be it, maybe it's become a cultural superstition the name of which we do not speak yeah you know i gotta say um this was funny because in my first time watching this there i thought that i would there was going to be a point that that i was just going to be just so annoyed with and then I found out oh oh no it's supposed to happen like this and here's why um, it was when when Dylan tells Harper to show the Inari guests all of the ship's systems my first thought was why are you doing this why are you letting these strangers in on everything that controls and runs the ship this is a terrible idea. And then almost immediately, Tears like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, that's the question everyone's thinking. Yes. So anyway, props to Tear for yeah. uh, for helping to, to fill in for the rest of us um, and get the answers for what we were thinking. Way for him to relate. Yeah. 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 Or maybe we're starting to think like Tear. That's a possibility. <laughs> Starting to have that that jaundiced, jaded look <laughs> at the show. Uh, uh, I, we we you mentioned uh, a great literary reference mm-hmm. from the 20th century. We also got a great film reference from the 20th century. Freaky Friday. No. Oh, okay. Well, yes, <laughs> but then another earlier than that. In fact. Did you did you remember the exchange between Dylan and Becca while they were on the Maru? Open the pod bay door. Oh yes, yes, I have it written down. <laughs> okay, yes, I knew you couldn't. Yeah. couldn't miss that. Yeah, and then Becca's response, perfect. <laughs> I have the greatest enthusiasm for this mission, which of course is from two thousand one Space Odyssey. Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. The 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 Arthur C. Clarke Stanley Kubrick film, uh, which we reviewed on Age of Geek. You can yeah. go back through our archives and. And uh, listen to our uh, us discuss 2001: A Space Odyssey. But it was just when they said it, I just I laughed out loud. You know, it was just like, oh, that is perfect. You know, 
that move that I can see lasting the the three thousand years. Oh, it's definitely going to last three thousand years sure. plus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was still for for my twenty first century mind. It was still fantastic to, oh, yeah. to hear that reference. I loved it. Better than any Star Wars reference that we've had so far. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I had a I had a more gut reaction to that than I did to yeah any of the the tacit mm-hmm. Star Wars references that we've gotten so far. You know, I, each week I keep finding different roles uh, or different different places that I would like to see trance. Uh, last week was American Ninja Warrior. Yes. This week, I think that. Uh, Based on her performance this week, I think she should be the next Joker. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I, I'm thinking Harley Quinn, though. All right. Either well, or. Well, I just thought, you know, when... She could be the first female Joker, though. You're absolutely right. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Is uh, It's after she, she makes the joke about, about her being race sex being sex slaves. Yeah, yes. she and starts then, laughing. And, I mean, the laugh is yeah. just so maniacal and yes. so evil. And then with the purple face and the red lips, uh, I saw Joker. I will say, I, I loved the lighting that they had going for that set. Mm-hmm. Because it did, it made, you know, with the shadows around her eyebrows, I don't know why I picked out those sorts of things, but the, the shadowing that was that framed her face and that laugh... And the fact that she's she could care she couldn't care less what's happening at this moment. She can walk out at any time. So there's that element of menace to it that I just I really appreciated. I thought it was very you know for this show it was very well done. I thought, mm-hmm. but not Joker. I didn't make that connection. Okay, that's yours though. All right, and I'm I'm not saying it's a bad reference. Okay, moving on. Yes, okay. please. <laughs> Uh, Pyrian ship design. I just want to touch on that right quick. And, well, in fact, the Pyrians themselves. Yeah. To me, appear to be something out of Monsters, Inc. That was just... That was just my... Okay, yeah. My observation. Yeah, I can see that. I was kind of thinking maybe Sesame Street. Well, yeah. Yeah, that could work, too. But I'm just saying the, the ship just looked like a big compound eye. Yeah. With ten, tendrils hanging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The... Bodies of the Pyrians themselves kind of look like uh, what's the, what's the character the Eye character Sully I remember that name Mike Mike Wazowski Mike, Mike Wazowski yeah so yeah they just reminded me of something out of uh, out of uh, Monsters Inc yeah I could see that <laughs> we find out a little bit about Tyr he doesn't like Nietzschean stereotypes how's that well. When Major Windar is going through the list of possible suspects that they have eliminated uh, as their attackers, she mentions Nietzscheans, Resters, and I don't know. She rambles off the list. As soon as she says Nietzscheans, did you see the did you see the look on Tears' face? No, I didn't pay attention. He turns and he raises his eyebrows and goes, "Oh no, you didn't." <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> That's. Really? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I mean, the camera switches to Tyr as she's saying Nietzscheans, and Tyr just kind of raises his head and gives her the look. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. So that's enough fun. Uh, let's let's get down to business. Let's get some I still kind of want to have fun, but okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. You can still have fun if you want, but let's be serious about our fun now. Okay. Um, in Pitiless as the Sun, what did we learn about our Andromeda universe? 
characters and the universe. Well, I just I felt like it would be a great thing to lead off with the Pyrians themselves. Okay. We learn about this race mm-hmm. called the Pyrians, which they obviously as as Dylan describes them, their torch ships that they the torch ship that they encounter here, he's aware of them and they were comparable to the heritage class ship that uh, that is the Andromeda. Mhm. Except They've had th- uh, 300 years to advance, and obviously they have advanced because of what they did to the Inari frigates mm-hmm. that they were supposed to meet up with. They decimated them. So he, Dylan un- understands that he he needs a little more info mm-hmm. <laughs> before he starts going toe-to-toe with these, uh, with these periods. So they're a technologically advanced race. They live on planets like Venus, like, oh, what was the name of the planet they said that they actually fought a war well, over? Burma. Brahma. Br- Brahma. Brahma, okay. yeah. Uh, not Burma. Not Burma. <laughs> you know, totally earthbound. Right. Yeah. Uh, Brahma. And so they lived on all of the planets, it seems like, that the Commonwealth couldn't inhabit. Commonwealth terraformed planets that were close to what they needed to live. They let the Pyrians have the inner planets that had the hot atmospheres. Uh, volcanic worlds and things of that nature. They pyroform. They pyroform. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That was the reference. Um, I thought that this was really cool. You kind of have you have the Commonwealth, and then you have this race of people that, all right, we, we don't like where you live. We'll just we'll take all the the planets that you can't inhabit, and we'll live side by side. It was kind of cool the way mm-hmm. you described them is is not having common interest in real estate, basically. Mm-hmm. So they could live side by side. So I, I feel like this is kind of an interesting race, uh, potentially a pretty great ally to have, mm-hmm. especially with the, uh, the the current state of the galaxy and the situation that's coming at them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we we'll, maybe we'll see more of that later. Right. And going back to what you were saying, it, what you could possibly have here essentially is two empires – Coexisting in the same space, yeah, literally, same systems, yeah, same star systems, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and that's a. I, I don't know that that's a concept that's been presented in other sci-fi that I'm aware of, and if it is, it, if you if you the listener are, out, are aware of something like that that's been presented in other sci-fi series that I might not be familiar with, please write us. Uh, drive back the night podcast at email email. Drive back the night podcast at gmail uh, but th- I don't think that this is something that I've seen before. And I thought it was this is a really great concept to exist here within the Andromeda universe. Yeah, I mean, because generally what you have is you have a, a certain race or an empire, um, a group of races or something that they're, they're – it's all one thing. Yeah, they're all and humanoid. They, they occupy a certain amount of space. I mean, like think of Star Trek. Yeah. You've got Federation space. Yeah. You've got Romulan space. There, you can actually look Ev- at, at a map. Everybody lives on Class M planets, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this it's the same kind of life. With right. the exception of the Horda. Yeah. But, you know, they don't really have an empire or right. anything. Or, or Species 8472. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with the Star Trek references. Uh, but, I mean, the Star Wars, it's all the Empire. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, Firefly. You know, you've got the Alliance. There's no aliens in Firefly, so they right. all have to live in oxygen-nitrogen atmospheres. Yeah. That's true. 
dumb example. <laughs> but fantastic <laughs> show. I wanted to talk about it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, so yeah, so we have the the, the Pyrians or mm-hmm. Pyrians, yeah. Pyrians, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh I think this is a great alien to have in this series. And I don't know if they'll be brought back in future episodes, but I I sitting here, I I'm thinking I would like to see more of this race. They seem interesting. Yeah. And if they have that much firepower to be able to take on the Andromeda, uh, and this is this is a whole race, this is a whole empire of Pyrians, and they've probably got more than just this one ship. So, yeah, you're right. This would be great to yeah. have on your side when yeah. the Magog come to town. Um, the question is, do the Pyrians have any interest in the Magog? Yeah, because the Magog are going to be going after the oxygen-nitrogen atmospheres. Mm-hmm. Or are the Pyrians just going to be saying, sorry about you? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we're good here on Venus and yeah. other Venus-type planets. Yeah. Because that's how I'm sure they re- they refer to all of their planets. Yes, yeah. Venus-like. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's in their language. Because everybody sure. knows Venus. Right. Um. So the big one here. Okay. Characters. Yes. Trance. Yeah, I've got, is, I've got this written down, too. This is a big-time trance episode. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I'll lead us off on this one. What did we learn about trance? I think we learned less about trance. There's a think, lot of disinformation I think there. we unlearned some things about trance. <laughs> you could be right, yes. I don't know. That's just that's just my feeling. There was it's a like, lot of stuff thrown out there, like the, bread as like, sex slaves. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that was... A misnomer that was that was misleading, right? For the professor's sake. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, and she it seemed like every segment that they went down there, she kind of had a different story that she was starting to yeah. tell. Yeah, she started to talk about her childhood, mm-hmm. and then it was like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that none of that was real. Yeah, right. And and of course she's she's playing him the whole time. Yes, uh, I, as the viewer. You kind of start to get pulled into it. I did. You kind of start to get pulled into you it sucker. and saying, okay, are we learning about trance now? Is yeah. this really what's... Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And you kind of feel for the guy, don't you? A little bit. That had to be frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know there's cameras in there and other people are watching and he's like, I look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes to feel that way. No. No, I don't. Yeah. They should have given him a cigarette for this episode. <laughs> in, homo- in homage to the X-Files, you know. But yeah, going further on that with mm-hmm. Trance, I, I, here was the question that I had. Um, if Trance can read possible futures, then how, sh- how did she miss knowing what the Inari could potentially do to her in this circumstance? Or would try to do to her? Was it that she wanted to go through with something like that? Did she want to test herself? Was this was this a, a diversion for her? Well, you know what you you touched on it a little bit in your summary. Uh, I think that that she she could have walked out at any time. Yes, they even when he had her in restraints, and then he comes back, and she just lifts her arms right up. Yeah, you know, yeah. she's like, I'm I'm restrained now. I'm not. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I kind of think that she was playing it from the very beginning, even from the time when he sends her into the room and locks it. I think she was already a step ahead of him. Did, did she need a break from the Andromeda? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe this was a vacation. No, th- the thought that I had was, 
she talks to Dylan about going to the to their home world mm-hmm. and being kind of an ambassador, but also as a spy. Mm-hmm. I think it was the word that yeah. she refer- references at one point. For what? Because really the only thing that she gets is she learns that they had a, a civil war 15 years ago in which half their population died. But they could have found that out from the major if they just waited around long enough. Mm-hmm. The only thing she really asks him is, uh, how are you going to explain my death to Dylan? That's the only thing that she seems like she wants to know. That's the only real moment I felt like she had. She seemed like she legitimately didn't know about Purple Boy. Okay. Um, maybe she did know about Purple Boy, but didn't know exactly what he had done when he was there. So maybe she decided to go down there to find out more about Purple Boy. Fact-finding mission. Or maybe it was just part of her... One of the possible futures that she saw was just that she was going to find out something okay. important about her race, someone in her race, down on that planet. Okay. So she just, yeah, just go go down there, see uh, what we can find out. That's not a thought that I'd had, but yeah, that kind of makes sense then. That kind of explains why she would go through what she allowed herself to, to endure. Yeah. And, you know, we also, I mean, I guess it's hard to to, to say that... You know, she sees possible futures. Yes. She doesn't see the future. Right, right. So it may not always be what she sees is what's going to happen. Um, kind of like the uh, the little guy in Men in Black 3. Oh, yeah. He could do that. He yeah, could see yeah. possible futures, but he didn't know which one was going to happen. Right. So, you know, maybe it's kind of the same way with trance. Um, maybe the men in black three just kind of totally ripped off trans Gemini <laughs> with that ability. Um, but she's able to see futures, not really knowing for sure which one's going to happen, but she knew something was going to happen down on that planet. It was important for her to go there. Right. And at least experience what, whatever was going to happen. Right. And it yeah, was, that kind of it was important for her, possibly for no one else. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was mm-hmm. for her benefit. Mm-hmm. No, that's, I, I can totally buy that explanation. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. But we do learn that whatever Trance is, she's not alone. There are more of her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's not a one-off. Mm-hmm. She's not some construct of her own design or anything. Yeah, there's there's others out there. And uh, and they're not necessarily seen in, in a great light. No. Yeah, I mean... Not on this I mean, planet. the professor references the devil. Right. You know, alludes to the devil. Mm-hmm. And... and Trance's response to that is not a, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was just a, it was a little chilling, Yeah, her response to that. Yeah, I mean, when we were discussing our opening bit for this episode, we kind of were playing around with that scene, uh, maybe coming up with something for that, but I decided that I wanted to sleep tonight. So, <laughs> okay. So we just came up with what we did instead. Okay, yeah. You know, the, the interesting thing that, that uh, perfect. Professor Logich kept um, kept wanting to know from Trance was, why are you here? Yes. Why have you come here? Did you come here just to, to taunt us, or did you come here to cause problems again, or what's the deal? My answer to that, if I'm Trance, is you brought me here. You, called, you were lured. You called you lured me here. help. Yeah. You called for help from the Andromeda, which I was on, and then... Your major came up here and said, 
you know what? You're great for this. Why don't you come down to our planet and help us with this transition to, to try and not be a bunch of xenophobes? Yeah. Go ahead and finish your thought. And I need because I've okay. got something else to bring up there. But go ahead. Well, yeah. and then and then so she goes down. Why are you here? Because I was invited. Isn't that the answer? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. They wanted to know about more about her mm-hmm. and her race and why they why they work the way they work. Mm-hmm. The thing that strikes me though is, like I mentioned in in the factoids when we first started, this was supposed to be Rev Bim going down to the planet. Okay. Yeah. So, whoa! What yeah. happens with that? Okay. Because the Magog aren't you know, superhuman. They don't have a mysterious background. They just eat <laughs> or lay eggs right. in hosts. Okay. So, wow! This would have been a very different story. Mm-hmm. Very different situation. I'm thinking possibly a, a population decimated by the Magog. Mm-hmm. But do you want to? lure one down to your planet to get to know them a little bit better? No. No. <laughs> no, not really. Doesn't, no, it doesn't really make sense. I, I actually had that as a note here because um, I didn't know that bit of trivia until you mentioned it earlier. And so as soon as I heard you say that, I wrote that down. Okay. Yeah. I, I said, how would this episode have been different if it was Rev Bem instead of Transgemini? Unfortunately, I've only had... This time that we have been discussing this to think about that, and I've been talking or listening to you for most of that, so I really haven't had time to to think about that. But, I mean, that is interesting. What what happens if this story is Rev Bim? Or or Magog-centric, yeah. Yeah. Instead of Trance's race, whatever it ends up being. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That opens up a whole different – it would have been a much different story. And I can't, at this point, look at it and say it would have been better or it would have been worse. It, it it would have been different. Though. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about this this story is that it seems like it is such a trance centric story. Yes. And it seems like it feels to me until you just shattered this. <laughs> it feels to me like this episode was written specifically for, for trance. trance. Yeah. Because now this is we're going to start getting into trance's character. Yes. We're going to find out about her race of people, whatever she is. Why she is on the Andromeda? We're going to start getting these hints. This is a hugely important episode for Trance, and and really, I don't want to jump ahead in the timeline, but we've talked about how we're going to handle certain aspects of Trance's character mm-hmm. in discussion outside of the show, mm-hmm. which we're getting to that eventually. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is probably the point where that change in her character really begins to take shape. Mm-hmm. She's been. She's been an enigma up to this point. Now we've taken that enig- enigma, we've thrown some disinformation out there, but what did we see her do with Professor Logich? She revealed right. something about herself, something profound, something universe-shattering, mm-hmm. potentially, to him. And he asks, do your shipmates know? Mm-hmm. And she, in her answer, reveals that, no, they don't. Mm-hmm. They know what they need to know. They know that she's a friend. And that's all that is required at this point. Right. And so there's so much more out there, but I think if this had been a Rev Bim-centric episode, this wouldn't have happened with Trance. Trance would have gone a totally different direction. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, we can discuss that more in future future episodes. 
And then there's the question, why did she reveal all of this to Logich if she doesn't reveal it to yeah, the it, rest of her and that, crew and that's or her kind closest of my thought. friends? That, that's kind of my thought is, did she – was there kind of a Florence Nightingale effect here? Or not Florence Nightingale. What is that effect where the the victim begins to imprint or, or become uh, chummy with a torturer or <laughs> with an antagonist? What is that effect? <laughs> I have never heard of that effect. Never have? Okay. No. Um, I know where you're going with Florence Nightingale, but that's okay. not this. That's not this. I yeah. know. I know. Uh, d- does she feel sympathy for him? Because he begins to reveal to her about his past and, and what has transpired to lead him to being the person that he is now and taking the action that he is now. Does she sympathize with him a little bit? Uh, and that's why she reveals herself to him? I don't know if, if she – she may have had some sympathy for him. But, I mean, it just seems like an awful lot to her to reveal to someone that you've just met that you wouldn't reveal to your closest friends. But I kind of think that it was it had to have, it was more for us than it was for him. Okay. He he just happened to have been there when she decided to reveal it to us. He was the guy standing in front of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because with Trance being able to see everything, she knew that we were watching. Right. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she it was works. like, Ryan and Ethan need to know this about me. <laughs> so I'm going to show this guy. And they're just going to have to infer mm-hmm. what's going on. Exactly. Okay. All right. Let's move on to uh, Dylan. I thought mm-hmm. we actually learned a, a lot about Dylan. And I have a comment about Dylan as a character okay. uh, because of this episode. Dylan is becoming more pragmatic. He's mm-hmm. not the high guard captain that he was when he first came out of that black hole from, you know, with thinking and mentality that was that's 300 years in the past. He's not like that anymore. And, and I think this is very telling about where the show is going and, and what we're learning about our characters. Dylan is becoming more pragmatic. The Magog world ship has changed his viewpoint. Mm-hmm. How much, though? Because Dylan is now making choices based on what he knows about this threat that's coming. And in season one, before the world ship shows up, Dylan would have helped these people. He'd have have signed on right right off the bat. As soon as they sent the call for help, Mm he would have been like, we got to go help them. Now he's not wanting to, Mm -hmm. or not necessarily not wanting to, but as he says... He's got to be a little bit more wise in the the in the help that he is able to give. Mm-hmm. He's got to be more discerning in that help. And I think this is interesting. Uh, it it tells us a lot about Dylan as a character. Plus the simple fact that I think Dylan is is more of an anchor in this episode than we've seen him in previous episodes. He's more calm. He's more pragmatic. He's more thinking. And strategizing. And and I think this is a, a... Of all of the episodes I've seen so far with Dylan Hunt, this is the one where I've liked Dylan Hunt as a captain and as a commander and as a character. Uh, more so than any other episode that I've seen so far. Tyr wasn't in the room during that conversation. But um, I'm sure he heard what happened. Oh yeah, of course he heard. He always hears. But you got to imagine wherever Tyr was, he was applauding Dylan. Because, I mean, it, from, from Tyr's point of view, it would have seemed like this is an extremely self-motivated decision. Yeah. Or, or at least thought process that Dylan is having right now. And so Tyr would have been thrilled with that. Harper 
was commending him on that, and Becca was the only one that really took exception, and it just had to do with her her past. Right. She identified with the pilots. Exactly. That's the only thing that really saved him here, but... But yeah, I mean, it was very strange to hear someone like Dylan basically say, what's in it for me? Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't like Tear in the sense that he is completely self-motivated. Dylan is not necessarily self-motivated, like what's it, what's best for Dylan Hunt, but it's it's more what's best for the three known galaxies. Yeah, I I want to say it's it's less not. I want to say it's not uh, what's in it for me, but more like is this giving us the most bang for the buck. Yeah. Are we getting the most out of this that we need in mm-hmm. order to accomplish the goals that we know we're going to have to reach right. in order to you know, face the threat that's coming at us? Yeah. And and then it, it just kind of starts a cycle of who do we who do we save and who do we let die because it is for the for the for the greater good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the Inari. <laughs> yes, yes. And ultimately, what we come down to at the end of this episode is they really should have just left him alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of sad, but you know what? In, in three galaxies worth of uh, of races and peoples, yeah, there's going to be these uh, situations that you're going to run into. Well, they were basically just using them anyway <laughs> yeah. to, to, to help them in, in this – this underhanded skeevy thing plot that that they were that they were trying to get done right um and then who knows maybe by them getting involved in it they could still somehow parlay this the in, into an alliance with the Perians when the world ship comes right i mean we discussed that earlier we don't know if that's going to happen um i honestly don't remember if that happens or not okay but that would be cool that'd be somebody Really awesome to, side, to have on yeah. whether or not they sign the Commonwealth Charter. It doesn't. It doesn't look. Really it doesn't look like they will. No. But will you? But will you stand next to me and fight? Yeah. 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 If the Magog are any threat to the to the Perians. Yeah. Maybe it's not an issue of threat. Maybe the Commonwealth needs to present this as a point of we're decent neighbors. Uh, if you don't want bad neighbors, help <laughs> us out. <laughs> because the Magog will be bad neighbors. <laughs> yeah, but would the Magog really be that bad of neighbors to the Perians? Oh, you know, they'd be destroying space stations and stuff. It's litter all over the, the system. You know, the Perians can't fly through that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to get trash in their backyard. It's, yeah. It'll be awful. You're right. And with the Commonwealth gone, I mean, there's there's no one to call to turn them in. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. This is this is in their best interest. Okay. Well, so whether they can actually attack them or not, I think we've settled it. Magog are just bad neighbors. They are bad neighbors. Okay. Yes. Um, one last one kind of has to do with Rami. Um, it turns we out... We haven't talked about Rami in a while. No, we really haven't. Yeah. But we learned in this one that Rami is a lie detector. Yes. In a sense. Yeah. Uh, she's able to sense that Lieutenant Goodell was being deceptive. Mm-hmm. Now, it turns out that his deception was for a good reason, but she still picked up on it. Yes. Here's my question. <laughs> Every episode that's come before? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's that. <laughs> let's Let's start with that. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There, there's constant deception on this ship, even yes. within the crew. Rummy never seems to pick up on that. Well, maybe, maybe it's it's. There's so much deception that she's just like everybody else can see it. So can I. So I, I look like a idiot pointing out the obvious. Right. I don't want to be the captain obvious. Right. Here. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. Even still, now here's another point that Goodell broke into the the machine shop five. Why wasn't Rami monitoring that? Why is why yeah. does this always happen? Yeah. When the plot needs Rami to catch someone doing something wrong, she can. But other times like this, it's just it like just not paying attention. And there's your answer. Okay. You said it. The plot requires. Okay. All right. <laughs> and, I, and I just want to point out then on a star, on a series like Star Trek, mm-hmm. when somebody breaks into somebody's quarters, somebody knows about it. <laughs> somebody always knows about it, unless they don't. Well, you know, it's I can't think of very many episodes where people broke in and a light didn't at least flash on the security board. I'm yeah. just saying. Well, they got to be looking at the board, though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The ship doesn't just tell them. Security breach in the captain's quarters. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. All right, yeah, so anyway, the other point, though, that I was kind of wanting to get to is that if Rami is able to see this deception in Goodell, why is she not able to see the deception in Major Windar? Yeah, because Major Windar just is, she's throwing out erroneous information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why Why wouldn't have Rami, Rami just lean over to Dylan and say... She's not telling you. Well, Dylan knew she was not being forthcoming. Yeah, but, I mean, even still, I mean, it it took Rami... She had to come in her hologram form and just confront Goodell about this. Yeah. Why did she not come right to Windar and say, Hey, I know you're lying about something. What's the deal? Fess up. Mm, Yeah. Or we're just going to space you and let the the Perians have you. Yeah. Because it wasn't as if Rami could look at Goodell and say, "Yeah, he's an informant for something." Dylan made that a, that connection. Mm-hmm. So why did why did Rami give Goodell the benefit of the doubt and come to him first, and not go to the to the Windar and and, and give her the same option? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I you're not going to find an answer for that. <laughs> uh, I think it's the same reason why sometimes the security works and sometimes it doesn't. You're, you're right, absolutely yeah. right. The plot needed it. All right. I think we've learned as much as we can learn. <laughs> All right. So uh, I got a quote for you. Okay. We are not the masks we wear, but if we don them, do we not become them? Yeah. And I think this is something that's been touched on in literature um, throughout the past. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's very apropos for what we're talking about here. Uh, we all have masks. We all have things that personas that we put on at times and we change those depending on the situation that we find ourselves in, you know, and we kind of hold our cards close to the chest. I I guess you could say in certain situations. Mm -hmm. So we have these different faces that we put on, that we put forward in certain situations, social situations and whatnot. Uh, The internet has made that just, (laughs) uh, readily apparent that people act a certain way online that they would never act in in real life. I would hope not. Yeah. 
Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are these masks that uh, we're all familiar with that we may or, or may not use, um, depending on the situation that we're in. But you have to be aware that if you're putting on a mask that is devious in nature, perhaps, then when you've got that mask on, that's who you're being. Mm-hmm. You know, you may kid yourself into thinking that you're being truthful with yourself and and maybe withholding from others. But the fact is you're being devious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so whatever that mask is, that is a reflection of, of who you are in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of what you think it may be hiding or protecting, uh, it is a reflection of the person that you are. That's kind of what I took out of it. And so we see that in trance for sure. Uh, she's had a mask on for the whole, you know, first season and a half that we've watched so far. I think we we don't get any details as to who she is, but we got to see a little bit of that mask being pulled away and seeing the type of person that she really is underneath. Mm-hmm. We got a glimpse of it through the through the pupil of her eye, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and yeah, so there's there's a little more menace to Trance's character because of it. Mm-hmm. She's hiding a lot, and it's potentially dangerous. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't know if it's dangerous or not. We haven't gotten an, enough information just yet. I mean, it could be dangerous. Yeah, we, it could be. Yeah, and, and then for like a, a, a character like Dylan, he's putting on that that mask now of being more uh, pragmatic. Um. How much that affects the the person he is deep down, uh, it's already um, affecting his command decisions. So he he's becoming more of a person that's more cautious, more jaded by the the environment that he's surrounded by. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a great saying for this show because mm-hmm. it's a lot of what we're seeing taking place in these characters. Right. Um, a lot of times I, I'll I'll try to have a, a different take on these than than what I anticipate that you're going to have uh i think you pretty much nailed exactly what what i was thinking um because it is just so really pretty straightforward as far as what we've seen here um you know when you you think about both the examples that you used was what i was thinking too about trance and dylan both of them acting a certain way uh that's not necessarily them but, you know, that's kind of what the quote says is, okay, th- we are not the masks we wear. Trance and Dylan and any of these characters that we've seen so far, they're they're not necessarily at their core really who we see, but they're wearing these masks. And so that's kind of what they become. Yes. It, it's not necessarily who they are, maybe to start with, but it kind of is who they are. By the end of it. Yeah. So, you know, and it's not something that's that's done on purpose. Um, the mask is on purpose. But if you wear that mask long enough... It affects you. You actually become that way. No, and, and I, I don't think I clearly stated that enough. But yeah, you're, you're making the point that I was thinking in mm-hmm. my head was, was the right one. You, you put that mask on, and depending on how long you wear it, it has an effect on the person that you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's, it'd be interesting to see if, if Dylan keeps wearing the mask that he was wearing in this episode. Because this is kind of a new mask for him. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, it'd be kind of interesting to see if he if he keeps that 
And if this is the type of person that he ends up being, or if maybe he just has to wear it for a little bit and then maybe he'll shake it off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, trance, it's hard to say because we don't really know what the mask is and what the real her is. I think you nailed it earlier. We we actually have learned less about trance. Yeah, I we've think. unlearned about yes. trance in this episode. Yeah. But anyway, that's what we learned and unlearned in this episode. Let's just let's take it home, uh, Ethan. I'll put it to you first. What are your final thoughts on this episode? So, so my final thoughts on this episode. I really have viewed Dylan Hunt as a Boy Scout up to this point. Mm-hmm. He's been kind of a character that's been hard for me to take seriously and to see as a commander. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case anymore. I got to see a different side of Dylan. I got to see a different mask, and now I feel like. He needs to take on more of this, this role of being an anchor, of being the pragmatist, being able to make command-level decisions that aren't just about his ship, but about the galaxies and the expenditure of time and resources and things of that nature. And Kevin Sorbo, as an actor, I think does a really good job with the type of character that he portrayed in this particular episode. I liked it. I liked his portrayal and I liked his acting in this particular episode. And that's not always been the case Mm -hmm. so far in what I've seen of him in Andromeda. So I like this episode because of Dylan Hunt. I also really like this episode because of Laura Bertram and the trans character. Because even though, as you say, we have unlearned things about (laughs) trans, we're still learning about trans. Mm Mm-hmm. And now we know that she is part of a long-lived, very powerful race, and we don't know why she's with Andromeda, but it, she has good intentions, apparently. She has genuinely good intentions. She wants to be their friend. And so I really liked watching this episode because of those two characters. Uh, whatever, you know, the, the Pyrians are great. I really hope we get to see them as a race at some point in the future. Would love to see them ally with the Commonwealth. That seems like a perfect fit. But uh, regardless of of what else we've learned, I I really enjoyed those two characters. And for that reason, I like this episode a lot. Yeah, you know, when when we, before we started recording, um, we were discussing a little bit about, uh, I had mentioned the plot and the subplot. And then you said, which was the subplot because it kind of really seemed like it was two main plots. Mm-hmm. And and I started thinking about that and really what this show was about, and that's true. There really wasn't a plot and a subplot. It was all they were there were two separate things going on, but it seemed they were like they were both just as important. Yeah. Um looking back. But when I was through when I was watching it and taking my notes, I I just felt like what was going on on the ship was more of a subplot and then what had, what was going on down on the planet was really what this episode was about. Okay. Um looking back now, I I feel differently about that. But that was just my impression of it before talking with you about it. Okay. Um and so I kind of think that I'm I'm a little bit half and half on this because the what I was calling the subplot, what was happening on the Andromeda, it was interesting 
it wasn't a hugely compelling story. I liked what happened with the character development, as you already mentioned with Dylan, uh, especially. But as far as the story, it was a well-told story. I enjoyed the story, but I didn't really care. I think maybe because I was more concentrated on what was going on with Trance. Yeah. Maybe had these been two separate episodes, I would have been more interested in what was going on in the Andromeda. But honestly, I kept thinking, okay, let's get back to the planet. I want to see what's going on with Trance. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was totally sucked in on that. Every time Trance would start telling a story and then just twist it and then just the whole thing just blows up and yeah. it's like, okay, that was nothing. And then well, now what's she going to do? <laughs> you know? And then when she, she breaks the restraints with, with no effort at all. And you see by the end of it, like you said, she could have just walked out at any time, totally toying with this guy, but she really made you believe as a viewer. And, and she made Logich believe that, that he was getting to her, that she was starting to break, that she was being poisoned you know, she was fine. And the the whole thing was just, to me, it was so brilliantly played by yeah. Laura Bertram. It was so well written. I don't know who wrote this episode. You didn't mention in your trivia. No, and I looked it up and I forgot to write it down. I'm sorry. Okay, but it's, whoever whoever wrote this, um, props. Because I really enjoyed the writing in this and the way that Laura Bertram played it. Um, even though it was a rewrite. You know what? Yeah. I, 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 maybe, especially since it was a rewrite. Yeah. Because um, I'm really, really having trouble trying to figure out how this would have worked if it had been Rev Bim. Yeah. We wouldn't be t- speaking highly of this episode, I don't think, if it was a Rev Bim episode. And I like Rev Bim as a character. I've liked everything they've done, but maybe this wouldn't have been as compelling. Yeah, maybe not. But, yeah, but it was trance. So, I know it was trance, I know what happened when it was trance, and I know that I liked what happened when it was trance. And and I do like what I call the subplot, I just wasn't as interested in it. Yeah. Um, but overall, put the whole thing together, I think this is a really good episode. I enjoyed it, it was one that I had remembered from the first time watching, and uh, it was fun. It was fun, it was compelling, it was interesting, it holds your attention, and... And it's also informative about the characters, the universe, and a little bit as far as what's going on in this overall story. Yeah. Even if we do unlearn, I think we learn from unlearning. Does that make any sense at all? Absolutely. Okay. I I follow you. Okay. Even though they didn't focus on her tail at all. No. It had a pretty good scene there at the very end. It was just kind of laying off to the side of (laughs) her. Yeah, you're right. Didn't really have much to do, but we got to see it. Yep. It's there. Yeah. Cool. And, and it got a mention, too. Yep. So, all right. But anyway, that's what I think, and that's what you think. We'd love to hear what our listeners think. So if our listeners did want to get a hold of us and let us know what they think, not just about this episode, but about any episode that we have covered or will cover, or about our show, or just about Andromeda in general, how could they get a hold of us? Uh, they can do so at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. That's right, and they can also follow us on the social media. We are on Twitter and Facebook using the handle at AndromedaPod. We're on Podbean, 
That's our home. That's where you can find every episode that we have recorded of Andromeda to this point. Uh, www.andromedaseries.podbean.com We're also on iTunes. If you listen there, subscribe to us and give us a review and give us some stars. That benefits us and it benefits the listeners that, that are looking for Andromeda Podcasts as well. Also... We can be found on poddirectory.com as well. Yeah, this is new. Yeah. Tell, tell me about this. Oh, it's just a, it's a nice website that uh, uh, has a lot of podcasts. Uh, and you just go in there and search Drive Back the Night, and we pop up. And you can find every episode of Drive Back the Night on poddirectory.com. And we also want to thank our good friend Doug Anderson for giving us his voice for the quote at the beginning of this episode. And we are an Age of Geek production, www.ageofgeek.com. And, uh, Ethan, how's your whiskey over there? Empty. It's empty? Yes. Well, the show's just about over, so I'm going to have to call a last call. Incidentally, next week, we're going to discuss... Last call at the Broken Hammer. It's a long way for a bad tie-in. Was it? (laughs) 